The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house of the Lord was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Amen. Our great God and Father, we gather as your people today to join our hearts together, to join our voices together in worship and praise of you. We have gathered today as as your people to remind ourselves of the greatness of your name and the majesty of your covenant that you have made with us, that you would be our God and we would be your people. And we pray, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us today that you would be pleased to visit with us, to be present in the praises that we sing, in the words that we say, in the reading and hearing of your holy word. And we pray, Lord, that you would leave us not untouched, unchanged in this service of worship. We pray, Lord, that you would inhabit our praises. Help us in our distractions, in our weariness or tiredness. Help us, Lord, to engage in worship with you, the living God. And Lord, we join our hearts and our voices together now as your people, the church, and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal if you would like to turn there. I'm going to begin by asking you, since this is a confession of your faith, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who call upon the Lord by faith, hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon for your sins. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen. Let's continue to worship now. Turn in your hymnal to number 310 as we sing together, Rejoice, the Lord is King.
may be seated. And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning. Good to see you all. I wanted to ask you, this is not a this is not a school lesson, but I wanted to ask you if any of you know what a pilgrim is. James. It's somebody who um it's the people who travel from mm. England to mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. People who travel from England to America. Yeah, that's exactly right. Did you know that there's also stories about pilgrims in the Bible? And pilgrims in the Bible, we've been talking about this actually in the sermon for the last few weeks, and I wondered if maybe it would be helpful to talk about what it means to be pilgrims of God. Um, maybe that it, it didn't stick out to you. And so I wanted to ask, can you think of anybody in the Bible, in the stories that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, people who were pilgrims? Think about the Old Testament, and maybe some of the people who, who traveled with a man named Moses. Who were the pilgrims who traveled with him? Titus. The Israelites. The Israelites, yes. And why do you suppose they're called pilgrims? Think about what James said about them traveling. They, they had to travel because the Egyptians were treating them. Yes, they had to travel because the Egyptians were treating them horribly. They had to travel. God had called them out of Egypt and told them to go to a land where they would they would see God's blessings. And actually, that theme of being pilgrims passes on to us today. It doesn't mean that you should put everything you have in a van and, and drive around the country. It's not that kind of pilgrim, right? It means that you should live as though this world is not your home. That you and I should think that no matter what wonderful things we have, whether we have blessings of possessions or land or nice clothes or nice cars or wonderful cows or a wonderful garden, this world is not your home. And even though all of those things are certainly reminders of God's blessings in your life, and you should think about them that way. How many of you do have a, a wonderful cow? <laughs> yeah. How many of you have a wonderful garden that you've enjoyed this year? I think you should be reminded these are God's blessings for me as I travel in this land. But this world is not my home. It means that you look to God to, to give you a better home. When Jesus promised that I go and prepare a place for you, he meant I'm making you a home. So you should live here as though you're not staying here. And you should have a heart and a desire in you to bring as many of your friends and family and neighbors as possible. As many as the Lord would call to himself. So if you're a pilgrim, that means you should also be spreading the gospel. Telling people that don't know about Jesus, about his great love, that they might live like pilgrims too. And look for a home that God will give them one day. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I pray, I do pray this for our covenant children. That you would help them to know what it means to live like a pilgrim in this world. And it is easy to be comfortable here because you have blessed us with so many things. You have blessed us with homes and this church family. 
You take care of our needs every day. The fact that there is food in our cupboards and gas in our cars is a sign to us of your great faithfulness to us. Lord, I pray for our covenant children as I pray for parents and grandparents and others in our church that we would not be so comfortable here that when you call us home, we'd be surprised or have a sense of regret. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hold things loosely, open-handedly, that you have told us we are just passing through. Lord, help us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. I pray that for our children, that they would see us as their parents and as their elders in the church family, living lives that understand this world isn't home, and that we are just passing through. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading together Psalm 147. It's on page 839 in the Green Hymnal. Page 839. I'll begin with the light portion. Uh, Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the heart. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. Extol the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates, and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders, and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth, his word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool, and scatters the frost like ashes. He curls down his tail like pebbles. He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. As we consider those words that we just recited together, we proclaim the might and the power of the living God. May that be on your mind as you consider the words of this song that we're about to sing. I want to invite you to stand and take the insert from your bulletin as we sing together. He will hold me fast.
may be seated. This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to pray for uh, Joel Brown at South Carolina State, uh, that the Lord would be preparing him for the work that God has planned already for uh, the campus ministry there uh, this fall. And I also wanted to continue our prayers as school is starting here. I wanted to pray for our school teachers and also for our college students today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a few quiet moments standing in your presence to be reminded that it is you who holds on to us. It is you who first moved. You are the the mover, the one who draws us to yourself. You're the one who gives us faith. And without you, we would not respond to the gospel. It would fall on deaf ears because we are dead people apart from your grace. Lord, I pray that that would Quicken us this morning that we would be reminded and be thankful in our hearts that you are the one who holds us fast in the midst of life storms, in the midst of difficulty, of great trials and struggles. You are the one who holds your people. Lord, I pray that that would be a sweet reminder to us this morning. Each of us came in this room today with requests, requests that we've mentioned to others, that we've voiced that others might intercede with us and lift us up before the throne. But some of us have come in this room this morning with requests that only you know about. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to know that even in those, you hold us fast. Lord, I thank you for the blessing and the gift of music, that we get to sing praises back to you. Music is not primarily something about us. It is to be offered up to you in worship. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we lift up to you our school teachers, and we pray that you would bless them this year. In the school year ahead, as classrooms are ready and as the noise of students in the hallway is already there, Lord, I pray that you would build up our teachers, give them hope and faith in you, that the labors that they are doing are not in vain. Lord, I pray that you would help them to be lights for the sake of the gospel in their classrooms that it's true that possibly they may be the only Jesus that some of their students ever see. Lord, I pray that that would humble them for the great trust that they have from you to be lights in a dark world. Lord, I pray for our teachers' safety as they go in every morning and leave every afternoon or evening, that you would keep them safe not only as they drive, but also safe in their classrooms, safe in the hallways and in teachers' lounges in the cafeterias. Lord, I pray that you would have your hand upon them and that you would keep evil away. Lord, I also pray for Joel Brown at South Carolina State. Lord, as you have already been preparing him for the work that will take place this semester, I pray that you would be granting him divine appointments with students who have not heard the gospel. And as we prayed last week, I want to pray again, not in vain repetition, but as a sincere request before the throne of God that you would grant conversions on the campus of South Carolina State this year, that we would hear reports of those who have never heard the gospel hearing it and believing, 
that you, Lord Jesus, are still in the business of drawing people out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into your kingdom of light. That we would hear of their rejoicing to have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, we pray that you would do this for your glory alone. We thank you for Joel. We thank you for his desire to serve you. And Lord, I pray that you would protect him from the attacks of the enemy. Protect his marriage. Protect his children. Protect his faith before you that his his daily reading of your word would not be merely an exercise so that he might have material for a Bible study or for a, a group discussion, but that his relationship with you would be living and active because of your work in his life through your word. And Lord, I thank you for our church family here, that we may pause and give thanks to you for your great faithfulness to us and the many ways that you are faithful, the ways that you provide and take care of us, Though at times it might seem that your answers come late from our perspective, you are always on time. You are never surprised. You are never late. You're never hit with something at the last minute. You know the end from the beginning. And we thank you and praise you that we serve a God like you. And that you condescend to us, your people, to minister to us through your word. And we pray now by your Holy Spirit that you would do that. Speak through your word. Encourage us. Build us up. Lord, we pray that you would help those who are weak in their faith today and even those who have doubts that they would hear the gospel and that you would use the salve of the gospel to heal their souls. Lord, I pray for those in our midst who are broken because of their sin or because of someone else's, that you would work in their hearts and that by your Holy Spirit you would cause them to be drawn to you. And we pray this, Lord, asking it in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, this morning we're going to be reading verses 14 to 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. This is the word of the Lord. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. This morning in our series, Being Still in the Busy, we are finishing our study in Hebrews chapter 4, and we're focusing on the ministry of Jesus here in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. The sermon is entitled, Holding Fast with Lifted Hearts. A goal of this series, when we first began earlier this summer, maybe there were several goals, but at least one goal was to encourage you as God's people, the saints, to engage in your relationship with God right now. Even if your life is hectic, even if your schedule seems to be out of control, even if daily you are being hit on all sides and barely able to respond logically, let alone emotionally, 
to all the hands that are being raised and all the voices that are asking for something, that the Lord would grant you the grace right now to be able to be still in the midst of that busyness, to truly engage in your relationship with the living God. This isn't a call to some new age spirituality which teaches that the path to true peace is to turn inward, to look at yourself and find what what scratches the itch for you and then pursue that. No, this is a call to radically abandon your own strength and competency and skills and run empty-handed to Jesus, the Redeemer. It's a lie from the pit of hell that says that life will slow down one day, that one day you'll have the resources to deal with the pain and the sin and the hurtful relationships that have mounted up in your life and the way that things have stacked up, that one day I'll have the resources to deal with that, but not right now. So the best way to deal with those things is to keep on pushing through, just muscle through, and stuff your emotions and your doubts and your fears and all of your hurt and just keep them crammed inside and put on a smile for Jesus and don't let anyone know how much you're hurting inside. It's a lie from the pit of hell that says you can deal with that later. The enemy would love for you to give in to that lie. He would love for you to believe it. But this pastor in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, gives us a glorious glimpse at the powerful resources that you, as God's people, all of you, who look to the Lord by faith, he's telling you in this letter about the resources that God has given you to deal with life, to deal with faith, to deal with struggle, to deal with pain and hurt and sin. Sins that have been sinned against you and the sin that clings so closely to your own soul. He says, we're to fix our gaze upon our resurrected great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and who offers mercy and grace at his throne. So this morning I want to look at this passage and my entire goal is to encourage you, dear believer, and to ask you, are you running to your Savior for grace and help? Or are you trying to muscle through life on your own? Are you clinging to mercy and grace because you need it? Or are you bringing Jesus your skills and your strengths? So number one, our great high priest, looking at verse 14. Number two, Jesus sympathizes with you, verse 15. And number three, approach the throne of grace, verse 16. So number one, our great high priest. And as I've done before in a few other sermons, I want to begin each point this morning with a particular lie that I think it is easy, or maybe you might have an inclination to believe And I'm listing this not because I think you have a proclivity to it, but because I know that my heart does. And as I am tempted to believe these things, I want to encourage you, dear friends, to trust in the goodness of God. So our great high priest, a lie that you might be tempted to believe. There's no life here, pastor. Don't waste our time studying an ancient relic from the past. 
It would be better to live in the moment, talk about our feelings, talk about what we like, rather than sit here on a Sunday morning in August, it's already hot, and talk about the high priesthood of Jesus. But I believe this is exactly where we should be. In Hebrews chapter 4, looking at these verses, you might remember that the priestly service was something that God gave to the nation of Israel as a gift. That the high priest was to go once every year into the holiest of holy places. He was to wear special clothing. He entered through outer and inner courts. He went through thick curtains and no one was to follow him. He was the high priest designated that year to offer worship and service to God. And he went with the blood of a sacrifice to sprinkle it on the altar, first making atonement for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. And all of these things, the intricate details, the clothes he was to wear, the way he was to approach the the throne room of God in God's presence was a reminder for them. Don't come too hastily into the presence of the living God. All of these details speak to His holiness and His righteousness and His majesty. Don't run in there like you might run into a room in your home. Don't run in there too hastily. You stand in the presence of the living God. That's what Isaiah understood. And it's why he said, Mine eyes have seen the King, and I am undone. It was a fearful thing for the high priest to stand there. And the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is our great high priest. Our great high priest. And he is the son of God. So he is already great. He is already unmatched in majesty and righteousness and holiness. There's nothing that he could do that we could add to his name or to his character. He is already great. But what the writer to the Hebrews is trying to communicate is that just as great as Aaron and Moses were, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is greater still. He is a greater lawgiver than Moses. He is a greater priest than Aaron or any who would come after him. And the service that he gives is superior in each and every way. He entered the presence of God, not through heavy curtains, But it says in verse 14 that he passed through the heavens to give his service to God. If you still have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 says this. For Christ, Hebrews 9 24, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God. For us. Jesus entered into the holiest of holy places. The throne room of the living God. And he went to plead the mercy of God for you and for me. Jesus went and did that. And the perfection with which he did it. Meant that he only had to do it once. That was the glory. The shrouded glory of the priesthood. That every year a high priest was appointed. And every year he would go and offer sacrifices to God. The blood atoned, but only for a short time. It was a reminder to God's people. There is coming one who is greater than any high priest named among the sons of Aaron. It is this alone, dear people of God. Jesus' sacrifice for you 
that makes us acceptable to God. There is nothing else. Through Jesus' blood alone, we are cleansed from sins stained. There is no other way to get it out. No other way to get it off of your heart. No other way for you to not be guilty in God's presence except for the blood of Jesus poured out for you on Calvary's cross. I think that this is one of the reasons it's helpful to consider the high priesthood, the great high priesthood of Jesus. Because as we consider Jesus our great high priest, we rehearse the gospel story of his sinless life, his substitutionary death, and his glorious resurrection from the dead, where he defeated hell and death, our enemies, Satan, and our sins. And your enemy doesn't want you to rehearse that story. He doesn't want you to remember it or to consider it because his demise is included in our glorious hope that just as it was promised to Eve, one day Jesus would crush the head of the serpent. He doesn't want you to remember that. Don't waste your time remembering stories of old. Don't read the Old Testament stories that point forward to a Redeemer. Because if you remember those, you'll remember this enemy has been put on a leash. He wants you crunched down. He wants you fearful. He wants you lacking faith. He wants you fearing. He wants you to wonder, is God good? Our great high priest, he says, because of Jesus... We are to hold fast our confession. What does he mean by holding fast? It means to apply your heart with all diligence to this Christian life. Your relationship with God. Reading the scriptures. Praying. Attending worship. Being part of this church family. Walking in faith and repentance daily. You're to apply your heart with all diligence. Nothing in this life should get the energy that your relationship with Jesus does. Nothing should tax you like this relationship with Jesus does. You should be pushing through in areas of unbelief and fear and disobedience. You should be seeing places where God is giving deliverance because He is working in your heart. You should apply your heart with all diligence. You should remain steadfast in this. In this walk with God every day. Remain steadfast and especially Under present trials, temptations, and sufferings. And isn't it interesting that those are the places that the enemy comes and he pokes and he he prods. And he just inserts a little question, a little insinuation. Has God really said? Is it true? Is the word of God right or is it just an opinion? How could you really believe the Bible? After all, there are so many mistakes. So many different copies. How can you be sure that your copy is the right one? He loves asking questions. Why does the writer to the Hebrews say this? Hold fast to your confession. Why does he say this? I believe he says it because we're all tempted in many ways every day to give up. We're tempted in many ways to just give up. And it might look different for each of us, but I think for all of us it will look something like this. I will just simply take my foot off the gas. I can cruise with Jesus and just get through life. I don't need to press in. There's no reason if I feel a prick in my heart about some some cross word that I said or a, a hard look that I gave someone. There's no reason to be sensitive in my conscience. We're all sinners after all. And yet if you have a prick in your conscience, 
if there is something that's calling you to go make something right between you and someone else, that would never be you. That would be God's work by His Spirit, through His Word, pushing you to do that. You would never manufacture that on your own. And why does He want us to do this? With what does He have in view? What does the writer to the Hebrews have in view? I believe He has in view the heavenly vision of our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, sitting at God's right hand. He wants you to have a vision of that. Because that is truer than anything you can see in front of you today. It's truer than any pain, any difficulty or trial. The presence of Jesus in the throne room of heaven is the greatest reality that any of us could ever speak of. Why is that significant? Why does it matter? Why is he pushing this so hard? Because if Jesus came and he did everything that he said he would do, And if the veil to the temple was torn in two, it means that Jesus' priestly service was over. He did everything he came to accomplish. And if he is sitting on a throne at the right hand of God, then everything the Bible says about him is true. And you owe him everything as his people. His precious promises to you are worth their weight and more in gold. You should read them with fear and trembling that the God of the universe would write this letter to me, a sinner, and cast his great love into my heart that I might belong to him, that this great high priest did this ministry before the living God for me. We should shudder to think that Jesus came to do a work that we don't have to apply our hearts to understand it. That it's not necessary to get in the the weeds and the details of the gospel. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, I press on, brothers, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. It's another way of saying, dear brothers, hold fast. And by the way, don't forget that as you are holding fast, you are being held fast by the one who can never let you go. I think Callie played it in the prelude or either it was in my head. O love that will not let me go, I raise my flickering torch to thee and give thee back the life I owe. We are in debt, dear people, to the living God for grace and we can never pay our debt back. So number one, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus himself. Number two, this great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, sympathizes with you And what is it, as we get into this verse 15, what is it, what is the lie that maybe the enemy would love for you and for me to believe? I think it's this, that since Jesus is so high and lifted up, since he is so highly exalted, he's too far removed from the daily strife and the struggles and the pains and the difficulties that I deal with. The priesthood can't help me. It's a wonderful lesson. I love the history. It's beautiful. But it can't help me today. And it's not going to be there to help me tomorrow. The enemy would love for you to believe that. To just set your Bible aside. It's not necessary. But I believe that the writer of the Hebrews anticipated that doubt. When he wrote in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18. Which is just before the chapters that we've been studying in. For in that he himself has suffered. Speaking of Jesus. In that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. 
Well, that changes everything. Because he suffered. Because he understood weakness and took on human frailty, being fully God and fully man, he knows what you are going through in the weakness of your faith, being tempted to sin. So what is it about Jesus that sympathizes with you? How can he do this? Number one, because he suffered sinlessly, perfectly, under the divine plan of his heavenly Father. Jesus endured temptations and trials in a far greater measure than we will ever be able to. We give up in the heat when it's turned up. We give up when the pressure is increased just slightly. But Jesus endured the full fury of all of Satan's wily ways and devices, and he did so perfectly. He never gave him one time to the lies. He endured all of the testing He knows what you go through. He knows what you're struggling with right now. He knows what you are wondering. Can I really go to to the Lord in prayer about this? Can I really give this to Him? Will He really take it? Does He really know best? Should I hold on to my faith? Or should I grab life with both hands and try to figure it out? He knows the lies that we might be tempted to believe because he's heard them before. You know, I thought about this this week. The, the devil is nothing but maybe a bit patient. And he's actually not that creative either. He's been asking the same questions of God's people since the garden. In the garden of Eden, he asked the question, is it really written, has God said it? And he asked the same kind of questions with Jesus in the garden on the night that he was betrayed. And he prodded Jesus in the desert. His questions are very similar. He's very crafty. And he is very patient. The only thing, as you think about Jesus, the only thing that he doesn't know of your human experience is giving into temptation and sinning. That's the only thing that he's never done. He went through the weakness and the hunger and the sickness and the desertion and everything that you have experienced, Jesus went through it. And that's why the Bible calls him our great high priest in his presence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, that God the Father made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We sing this hymn, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Do you doubt that Jesus knows? He knows. And I don't want you to feel guilty today if you doubt. I want you to be honest with it. I want you to take it to Jesus, to the throne room of heaven, and say, I believe. Help my unbelief. I don't believe, really. That you'll change my marriage. That you'll help my children. That you'll help us to make it through in our finances. I don't believe that you'll take care of me. Help my unbelief. Jesus sympathizes with you. I believe he does it in the heat of the attack. In the heat of the attack. 
We tend to think of Jesus' testing as only that time in the desert, right after his baptism, when he had the big showdown with Satan and the three ways that God gave Jesus the grace to trust him in the midst of those situations. That after Satan left in the desert, that Jesus never had to deal with Satan again. And yet, in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says that after the temptation of Jesus, that Satan left him until an opportune time later. And in my Bible, in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, the cross-reference goes to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. I think that's significant, and I'll say why in just a moment. All throughout his life and ministry, Satan came and tried to tempt Jesus to walk away from the plan that God had for him. The one plan that God had for him. To go to the cross and die for the sins of his people. He wanted him to sidestep the cross. And so in Matthew chapter 16 verse 23, when Jesus was talking about going to Jerusalem and being handed over to the authorities, Peter stood up and said, no, not you, Lord. And how did Jesus respond? He said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not minding the things of God, but the things of man. He knew that was another opportunity, even from one of his own disciples, for him to trust God's plan for him. Why do you suppose to mention this this morning? Why is it significant to mention this? I believe it's because you and I, just as these Hebrews needed to be encouraged, we need to be encouraged to vigilance. You are on enemy ground The moment that you turn and see God's faithfulness and you praise Him for it. The moment that you don't give into the the world's ways and into your flesh and try to do things by your own strength. The moment that you depend on Jesus and run to Him in prayer. You are on enemy ground because He, 1 Peter 5.8, He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in those moments when you feel weak and frail, and the only thing that you can do is pray, that is exactly where you are supposed to be as God's child. Trust that the Lord is with you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. After you have made your request known to God, it says something. There's a promise there for you to cling to. When you have lifted up your heart to God, it says that the peace of God will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So that in the obedience of prayer, the Lord promises as we give ourselves to Him that He guards our hearts and minds in peace. You can't manufacture that. You can't make it up. You can't guard your heart. Only the Spirit of the living God can do that. And that's a promise for you to hang your hat on. He will hold me fast. Even when I can't, He will. So number one, our great high priest... Number two, Jesus sympathizes with you. And number three, approach the throne of grace. And I think many of us give in to this lie. You probably know where I'm going. The lie is that there's no mercy and grace for you at God's throne. You've sinned too many times. You've given in to the same things too many times. He's tired of hearing it. And the only thing that you can expect at the throne of grace is judgment and condemnation. Don't even bother bringing it up again. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. There is no sin. A believer in Jesus Christ by faith, a born-again believer, there's no sin that you can sin if you come to Him in repentance and faith 
that He will not cast upon your Jesus on the cross. He died for that. For His people. What are you holding on to that you won't give over to Him? He says that we're to come boldly. When He uses the word approach, it's the same kind of word used to speak of the priestly service that the priests used to do. They would approach the, the throne They would approach to go put the blood on the altar by coming with sacrifices in their hands. You couldn't come empty-handed in that sense. You had to come with the blood. It speaks of those sacrifices. But the good news is that you and I come boldly because Jesus has offered Himself as the supreme sacrifice. And now you and I may come full of confidence in faith because God hears us when we pray. And isn't it interesting that many of us struggle to pray because we don't take the time to think through the reality of these things. If you remembered when you are discouraged to pray that your faithful great high priest ran into the throne room of heaven and pleads the mercy of his blood, if you believed that when you were struggling, should I pray or should I not? Should I have faith or should I not? Is it even worth it? If you believe that Jesus did that work for you, you would run to your heavenly Father. But we doubt. We fear. Psalm 51 verse 17, Are you a sinner? He says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Come to Jesus with your brokenness. If it's all you have, it is all you have. Come to Jesus. We are not just permitted to come. It's not that Jesus were standing at the doorway to heaven and saying, oh, okay, it's you. Yeah, come on in. He's heralding from the door. Come in. Come in. Enjoy the presence of my Father and the Holy Spirit. Be with us. Commune with us. Be encouraged. Be built up. You are not alone. I am with you. Isn't that what David proclaimed in Psalm 23? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall be with me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He knew it. Not because he'd earned an entrance into that door, but because he was welcomed in by grace. That's you, dear believer. That's you. You are welcomed in to God's presence. The great God of this universe that we live in. You're invited. Come by faith and repentance. And lastly, approach the throne of grace in the time of need. In this verse, he talks about mercy and grace. Mercy is pardon for our sins. That they are wiped away because of the finished work of Jesus. That all of our sins, having been cast upon Him, are no longer counted to our account. And by His grace... We are now accepted in Christ Jesus. We are accepted as beloved sons and daughters of the living God, who the Bible says are given an inheritance as though we are sons and daughters of the living God. Heirs to the throne of God. But he's not speaking about help that's just out there, that you can take it or leave it, that you can uh, go grab it or not grab it. He's talking about actual help that God gives to His people daily, that He gives to you day in and day out, offering to you 
the assistance for deliverance, for faith, and for help in time of need. It's that specific time when Jesus was sweating great drops of blood in the garden when he said, Father, if you can, take this cup from me. But not my will, yours be done. Jesus said that because of grace. And every time that you and I say that in the midst of difficulty, not my will, but yours be done, it is because of God's grace working in our lives. You should be encouraged, dear people. God is at work in you, both to will and to do for His good purpose. Yes, you may have ebbs and flows. Yes, there may be peaks and valleys. But God Almighty is at work in you, and He will bring it to completion. Your great faithful high priest will accomplish everything the Father has given Him to do. Lastly, I want to read from Psalm 46. Psalm 46, verse 1. Are you weak? Are you frail? Are you fearful? Are you doubting today? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place in the tabernacle of the Most High, and God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you that we may call upon you as your children. And that by your spirit you put it in us. You put these words into our mouths to cry out to you, Abba, Father. And Lord, I pray for your people today that you would help them to walk in faith. It may be little steps. It may be fearful steps. It may be one step forward and three steps back. But I pray for your people today, Lord, who are hearing me and those who are not here in our church family, that you would help them to know that you are there, that you sympathize with their weaknesses, and that you call them to boldly approach your throne, that you might give grace and mercy to help in time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to God's word by standing together and use the other side of your insert, and let's sing together before the throne of God above.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for the the beautiful gift of music, to be able to sing praises to you and to hear the song that, that we just heard. Lord, we pray that it would be out of a sense of joy and worship of you that we delight in it. And Lord, we pray that you would use now our tithes and our offerings for the sake of spreading the good news of Jesus that Jesus came and died for sinners, that they might be cleansed and forgiven. Lord, we pray that you would cause this gospel to go forth from Lebanon throughout our community and into the county and the state and into the world. We pray that you would do this for the sake of your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.
benediction of our Lord. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.